0: room smith bud elliott back again with another episode that nolcast bud will be looking at uh, primarily a listener question show tonight Uh, received as many replies from our uh, patreons and and uh, other supporters of the show as we ever have so uh, we've got an awful lot to get to Uh, some great questions tonight look forward to getting into them you know we'll touch real quickly on some of the developments regarding scheduling since we last talked Uh, we don't want to drill too deep into the details here nor do we want to you know, follow this uh, every day like it's a stock chart or something like that. But it's it's worth touching on uh, what has officially transpired over the last 96 hours or so. And after that, we'll jump straight into these questions.
1: Let's do it, buddy. I'm glad to be back with you doing this, man. Just keep coming up with topics to talk about, which is awesome. I wish some of the topics were a little more positive, but some of them are, are pretty cool. So let's, let's get into this. First thing I have on the sheet tonight is that the ACC has not officially announced that they're going conference only. We still anticipate that's going to be the direction uh, that that they go. We did see the Pac-12 announce that they will be playing conference-only games. I do want to commend you. I think last episode you did a really good job of explaining why these leagues would be going conference-only. Right? Just to reiterate, if y'all didn't catch last episode, I I think you should. We explained uh, very much in detail kind of what this could look like for the ACC and for Florida State uh, if if the ACC goes conference-only scheduling, like I think most people expect them to do. Uh, but you, you pointed out, it's, it's uniformity, of, uniformity of testing, and you know everybody in your league is, is testing the right way. You have access to all the data. And then also the ability to, to reschedule. You know, and this is something that I'm, we're still getting questions about, so I want to point this out again. Hypothetically, let's say ACC goes conference-only, and Ford State is set to play Boston College, and NC State is set to play, I don't know, Louisville. Okay, well, if Boston College comes down with a COVID spike and Louisville comes down with a COVID spike big enough to basically take their team out for that week, all of a sudden, boom, it's Florida State, NC State. You guys are playing this weekend. Yeah, it's short notice, but guess what? (laughs) Like, we're, we're trying to get games in here. That's kind of the real benefit to this is the... Instant scheduling flexibility, not having to worry about what any of their leagues are doing, being able to reschedule teams, even if they're not really on your schedule, move things around like that to where you're actually playing games, where you're getting that TV money to come in. Like This is about the money, and it's about the scheduling and the flexibility of that scheduling to allow you to fulfill your contract. So yeah, I, I think that was interesting. Now, notice I said conference only. I, I do think there's a lot of people that want to play Florida State and Florida, though. There certainly is uh, internally, and right
0: now things change, and this may just be, uh, I don't know if you want to call it false optimism or what, but the internal expectation, I can tell you after talking to a couple people whose uh, values or whose opinion I place exceptionally high value of, is that uh, there are those within the Moore Center who will tell you that if Florida State plays football, Florida State and Florida will happen in some form or fashion we have to see exactly how that comes to fruition maybe that's the first game of the year type situation but certainly from a internal conference standpoint the expectation is going to be to get like we talked about on the past uh, podcast episode to get your six games in as quickly as possible and it would be hard to see a situation where you open the season with florida like we have with so many of these things i would just interpret it as that people are going to do anything possible to get this year in. And um, for those in Tallahassee, their expectation is that if they play football, they're going to play Florida this year. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. I appreciate your kind words, bud, about the last podcast. You can dock me five podcast points on this one. For failure to mention our title sponsor in the open, Uh, Louisiana Hot Sauce is... uh, the ingredient that makes uh, the cast possible and has done so for four or five years. Stumbled across a pretty interesting marinade over the 4th of July that uses uh, Louisiana hot sauce. I'll be putting it up on our Instagram and, and Twitter uh, here in the next couple of days. And as always, we want to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, and acknowledge the role that they play in the cast.
1: No doubt, buddy. Let's keep it hot. So let me ask you this. Clearly, what, what, what the ACC or what these, these conferences that are going conference only are trying to do, it, it makes a lot of sense. Right? They, they clearly want to play enough games so they have a conference championship game. I, I had somebody who, who works in college athletics on the scheduling side, and he was like, look, man, if we get six games in in the fall, like they will be the six division games, you know, and it might take us 14 weeks to play six games given all the outbreak stuff. If we get six games in in the fall, I'm going to be thrilled. Now, from a conference standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. And clearly, like, you want to get your money from having the conference championship game. Like, that's, that's a really big thing. That, that, that's the goal here for, for the league and, and for the member schools. But if you're Florida State, you're not winning the conference. So, like, do you think it matters to them as much that you get your divisional games in? I mean, clearly, they want to get that, that ACC championship game played so they can get everybody gets their cut and, and they get as much money from the TV contract as possible. But there is also like the season ticket holders, which, I mean, not that we're going to have fans. So who knows? Kind of doubt it. But there's, like, your, your, your constituents to keep happy. And, and that, that type of element, right? Do you think they're, they care about this more than the ACC probably would? Uh, are you asking if Florida
0: State cares more about it? Yes. I know that uh, – I don't know how serious the idea, the home-and-home home, uh, that was floated out there over the weekend was. I know that Florida State wasn't real crazy about that idea, about the idea of playing – So the idea was that you would basically uh, cut the ACC, I think, into threes and then have people play each other basically out of rotating pods home and home. Now, uh, I would tell you that that is because deep concern about, again, uh, about schools from the Northeast travel into the state of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Um, So one way to get around that is to not have those schools travel, nor have schools from those areas travel into uh, Massachusetts and and New York. So one hypothetical I saw, I thought it would be Florida State, Clemson, Georgia Tech, Miami, and maybe Wake, something like that. Um, And you would play, well, I guess there would be four team pods. But anyways, you'd play each team twice, home and home, and that's how you would get your, uh, uh, or maybe it was eight divisional games. I should have this in front of me. I'm uh, not exactly providing specific information, but uh, I believe it was... uh, Somebody out of Carolina who put that up there, and we'll put it in the uh, the Twitter reference once we publish the podcast. But there's uh, there's all sorts of different ideas and scenarios floated out there, and again, it's just the want to get the games played by whatever means possible.
1: So, just quickly, like why why was Florida State not in favor of that? Because because it would kind of make it more difficult to play Florida
0: Florida State. Uh, it would make it more difficult to play Florida, Florida State, and it would also be scheduling um, guaranteed losses. I mean, clearly, yeah. Like like playing Clemson twice is not great for your brand. I mean, you're probably going to lose both games by 40 points, and we'll get negative iTunes reviews for that, but that's just the truth. I mean, you're not in a place to play Clemson right now,
1: so you sure as hell don't want to play them twice. You're a hater, man. I, I think they might only lose by 20. <laughs> well said. So, okay, that, that, that makes some sense. It. I really don't think that the conference only plans that have been put out there by the Big 12 or by the Big 10 and the Pac 12 and what I think is coming from the other leagues. I don't think this is the end of this. I think you've been all over this thing, dude. I think you're right about this. That the, we said probably a couple of months ago, you know, like it's going to be university presidents. Sure. They matter, but it's also going to be governors, right? And, and, and people above them. I, I, my guess here is that you're going to be right about this, and that there's going to be some, like, red tape at at the state level, uh, and maybe some of it well intentioned, and, and maybe some of it's pretty smart actually. But that that is going to preclude maybe some teams from participating or traveling to certain places. And I, I bet you we're going to have some really convoluted scheduling if we're able to play in the fall. Uh, I also had somebody the other day tell me something pretty interesting. I thought was was fun, not fun, but interesting at least, he said, look, we don't need to announce that we're going to the spring right now because what if we do and then all of a sudden this starts to clear up faster than we think it will and then we're not ready to go and then we're going to look back and we're like idiots, like damn NCAA, you guys could have started October 1 and just you know played through the Christmas season. And basically, been done by this, and still had a regular spring ball and all that kind of stuff. Like this, this cleared up a lot faster than than people realized, because maybe a lot more people have already had the virus than they even you know 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 have. Maybe it's not spreading quite as much. So they're trying right now to kick the can down the road to get the most the most feasible option for playing in the fall. If they have to go to the spring, they will. I don't think this idea of playing in the fall is fake. You know, a lot of people in, on Twitter are like, oh, it's fake. We know they're going to play in, in the spring. The people I talk to, they don't think that. Like, th- they think there's a possibility, but they are literally preparing for the fall, and they're going through a lot of different simulations and and things that try to allow them to play in the fall. Otherwise, they're just wasting their time. And spring it certainly has its own
0: challenges, its own significant challenges, uh, both in the sense of the amount of the roster that may choose not to play and um, the way that it coincides with uh, the NFL draft, it's just, an, it's just another challenge. And the, and the simple fact that yes, you would be theoretically doing student athletes a favor by not having them play in the fall. You would also be having kids play two college football seasons within an eight month period of time, which is really tough. So everything's on the table. They'll do anything possible to get the games in uh, not to be redundant, but uh you know, We'll continue to try to grab as much information that's out there presented to you guys and obviously try to keep you up to date
1: as much as uh, official announcements allow us to. All right. So let's go ahead and get into some of these questions here. Really good questions. M- most of them by our Patreon members, patreon.com slash NOLCAST. Uh, a couple of them from the email, a couple of them maybe from our Apple podcast reviews. So pretty solid. Again, sign up for our Patreon. Not a guarantee that your question gets answered on air got to be a good question, uh, but we, we do look at them first, and, and we kind of give you all the, the benefit of the doubt, too. And recently, the questions have been very strong, so I, I don't think we've had to spike any uh, questions in, in quite a while. Who do you want to go to first? You want to go Eric, Dane, Christian? Uh, who do you want to lead off with? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll start off with
0: Eric, and I'll uh, ask you this, as this is more in your wheelhouse. Eric Ask quick recruiting question. This is clearly not a normal cycle, given the challenges all the schools are facing because of the pandemic. There are some obvious things that it seems will lead to success in this cycle, Uh, recent on-field success, quality of your general infrastructure, et cetera. But I was wondering what other less obvious attributes or steps taken we will look back and find existed in the programs that had a successful
1: COVID recruiting cycle. Yeah, good question, Eric. Very good question. Sure. So Eric wants to know the other, like the obvious, or the less obvious attributes, rather. Probably one of the really common things is going to be uh, not hiring a new coach. Right. And I don't mean that to say that as in, like, hey, it was a mistake to have made the coaching change. I'm saying if you look at the recruiting rankings right now, let's go to 247sports.com just because I'm biased uh, you know, to them because they're my employer. Let's go ahead and look at the team recruiting rankings and find the teams who made a head coaching change this offseason that was not an in house replacement. Okay. Let me just read down here and tell me to stop when I find a couple. Ohio State, Clemson, North Carolina, Tennessee, LSU, Oregon, USC, Michigan, Florida, Texas, Alabama, Miami. Miami, Miami must have got somebody this weekend. Uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Georgia, Iowa, Maryland, Texas a and Minnesota, Louisville, Baylor, Missouri, Rutgers. Is this Rutgers? Yeah, Shiano, right? Yeah, so Baylor's the first name on that list, aren't they? Uh, excuse me, yeah, B- Baylor, right, Rutgers, and Florida State. Uh, so Florida State sitting right now at 25, Baylor at uh, 22, and Rutgers at uh, 24. Now, Rutgers has one four-star player. Baylor has zero, so you can kind of tell they're up there because of quantity, not really quality. Uh, Florida State has four uh, four-star players on the composite Um, everybody else just kind of going down here more. Auburn or Washington was an in-house hire, so that's a note. Georgia Tech, NC State, Pitt, Virginia. Arkansas, again, Arkansas has one four-star player. Sam Pittman, new hire there. Um, Memphis was an in-house hire. I'm scrolling here. Boston College, again, I mean, 16 three-stars, one two-star, no four-stars there at 37. And then nobody else inside the top 40. Uh, so I think one of the most common things, and, and I don't say this to be flippant, I'm just being serious here, is that these coaches have not had a chance to meet prospects in person. They have not had a chance to get on the road and introduce themselves. And prospects, for the most part, have not had a chance to, to meet them. They've had some Zoom calls, but that's about it. Guys, this is a year zero situation for these coaches. I think one thing that will probably help some existing programs is I don't think coaches are going to get fired this offseason, hardly at all, right? And, and Unless a school is sitting on some sort of malfeasance that they can use to fire you for cause and not pay a buyout. I, I think the landscape of college athletics is, is about to change uh, in a pretty drastic way. I think we're going to see smaller buyouts going forward, probably just across the board. Uh, I don't know you're going to see Jimmy Sexton getting $40 million buyouts anymore for people. And I also think that schools are going to be a little, little more reluctant to pay those the ones that, that do exist just because it's just hard to ask people to pay somebody not to coach. We, we've covered some of this stuff before, uh, but that, that is to say, I think some of these coaches who would have struggled in recruiting due to being on the hot seat, you know, and might've been seen as lame duck coaches I, at, at these schools that they've been coaching for three or four or five years. I, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Right. Like, I think Clay Hilton has a lot better job security than people realize. If they play six games in the PAC 12, And he goes like five and one and makes the Pac 12 title game and loses to Oregon. Are they firing him? Are they going to pay that huge buyout? I I don't think so, right? Not, not in this, not in this current climate we're in. So I would say that attribute is, is going to be pretty big as far as like the schools who normally would be struggling because they would probably have to make a coaching change or are probably not going to make a coaching change. I I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of coaching turnover this offseason and then obviously the schools that have done a good job embracing technology, uh the schools who have done a good job with the zoom calls and, and the, the virtual tours and that kind of stuff, you know, being reach, reaching the kids where they are. Like if you're a school that that is really banking on the great personal relationships you're going to form when you finally meet these kids in person, eh, I don't know if that's going to work for you quite as well this cycle. Probably not. So the schools that jumped on that pretty early, I, I think are key and then I mean, this sounds pretty obvious, but I think it's true. The schools that are located close to talent, uh, I think that is more important this year than it is in prior years for, for this reason. Usually, you don't sign with a school unless you visited probably multiple times. In, in most cases, you know, if you're, if you're some of these schools that don't have a lot of talent around you, it's going to be hard given the current quarantine situation, which who knows how long this extends. But it's going to be hard to, to get kids on your campus multiple times if they're not like somewhat local to you. So I think Miami is a school that will benefit in this situation a, a whole lot, right? Cause they have all that talent in there. They can pop over to Coral Gables w- without a flight, without a hotel, that kind of stuff. You know, if you're Tallahassee, that's, that's not really near any, any, any talent centers. I mean, it's surrounded by talent within, you know, driving distance, but you're not day tripping Tallahassee and back from, Miami or I mean I guess Atlanta you can do it but anyway th- those are some some factors that that I think are are going to matter this year that maybe would matter a little more a little less in that, than they would in a, a normal year Is that that I don't know I hope those are okay to answer yeah
0: certainly certainly uh second question of the evening comes from Dane Dane asks if a school's roster needs to be at least fifty percent blue chip recruits to be a national title contender do certain position groups have higher percentage requirements than others? For example, if I break up a roster into four position groups, front seven, secondary, um, line of scrimmage, and our offensive line and offensive skill, I would guess that the front seven would be the highest percentage requirement. Would you be able to give us a breakdown requirement of these four position groups (laughs) amongst the title contenders and where FSU would stack up in comparison? Um, I don't know if that's a question that you can answer on the fly, bud, but a, a pretty interesting one there posed by Dane.
1: Well, it, it is an interesting question. Um, it also just kind of gets in, into the minutiae uh, to an extent to where, like, if you're trying to write articles on a national level, most fans just don't care, right? Like, it's hard enough getting them to read about the blue chip ratio, and, the, like, that hits every year because it's a thing that's just popular enough now to where people share it. I will tell you with individual position breakdowns, I don't do those. Um, the variance on those and, and I'm not, not trying to just lean on the word variance here, but the variance on those is going to be really pretty huge because you're, you're dealing with, with such small numbers. I mean, you're only carrying like what 14, 15 guys on scholarship, at some of these positions and, and quarterback, I mean, is, is, you know, obviously real low uh, as far as, as far as numbers there. Um, and we've seen three star quarterbacks, you know, win it and, and whatnot, I, I would have, Probably generally agree with him that front seven uh, correlates the the best. Thinking logically through this, we we know we know that defensive recruiting rankings are generally a lot better than offense, and that's because you really you can't fake defense, right? Coaching doesn't matter as much on defense; it's largely an effort and talent thing on defense. On offense, you can hide a lot of stuff, you can scheme around a lot of stuff. You know, Mike Leach puts up a lot of points. Mike Leach can't hide the fact that, that his guys on defense can't run. You know, I mean, it, it's just it's one of those things.
0: I would say that combined with offensive line, and there's been steps taken in a, in the evaluation of the offensive line, but it's still my opinion that that's probably the hardest position to evaluate, both in the sense of what the physical product's going to turn out and uh, the engine inside, which ultimately dictates how successful a player is. Is probably is. Important at that particular position as any. And that's a really hard thing to judge sometimes.
1: To your point, there's a lot of research that suggests you're really, you're really elite offensive linemen don't actually play offensive line until their junior or even senior year of high school. Right? You're, the ones that turn out to be really good are the ones who were athletic enough to play a non offensive line position for a pretty long time before they just, because their body kept growing, they had to switch over to the offensive line. I think of a guy like a J.C. Latham, who's, in my opinion, probably the top kid in the country, not just at his position, but nationally. He was a D-end up until his sophomore year. And then all of a sudden he was 6'6", 300. And are like, yeah, you're, you're going to be an offensive lineman. And, and he embraced it. Now he's, he's awesome. Too often we see these guys who are really good offensive line for their grade as freshmen and sophomores. And to be honest, I don't want to ignore it, but I almost want to ignore it and just say, look, I don't care, right? Like how much of you being good as a sophomore offensive lineman is because you're just bigger and stronger than everybody else you're going up against at that age. But everybody else is going to catch up to you and they might catch up to you with more athleticism, which is what we're really going to look for to be a difference maker at the next level, I, I also think Florida State subscribes to this theory quite a bit. I think that's why you see them offering some of these projectable tight ends now, uh, and, and things like that, as opposed to just taking guys who they don't think are going to be able to make a difference for them on their offensive line. If, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, we, we, we've spoken about this a couple times over the last probably two three months. So if you listen to any, almost any of those episodes when we discuss the offensive line, you, you guys will probably uh, you'll probably pick up on it there. So I, I think offensive line has a, has a pretty high variance. I would agree with you on that, but I, I don't have specific numbers on that. And even if I did run them for the championship teams, I just I wouldn't feel comfortable putting the results out as far as definitive. Like at least with blue chip ratio, you're, you're looking at, at about 100 kids recruited over a four-year cycle. That's at least I mean it's not a huge sample, but it, it's a lot bigger than you know, the number of defensive linemen
0: you've recruited over that time. Maybe this is just proximity bias, but the only time that I would really raise a red flag is if uh, is if your blue chip recruits are particularly concentrated in the secondary, somewhat as the Florida States are, because there's a very quick point of diminishing returns there. And uh, it's great to have a bunch of skilled defensive backs, but it only gets you so far. So uh, to Dane's point, if there was one of the four that I would... Uh, particularly want to run through a filter, it would be how heavily concentrated your blue-chip recruits are in the secondary.
1: All right, uh, so Christian asks, uh, hey, bud, curious about your thought process uh, when putting Amari Gaynor at 28 on your most important players list. If not him, who steps up at linebacker? Uh, Ingram, also curious about your take on the linebackers. Uh, well, I'll go first. I, I, I don't even remember doing this, uh, but I, I found it in my email. Brendan Sinone of twenty 247 asked me like two months ago, would you put my 50 most important players in? And I did it. And I, I thought I did an okay job on it. Looking back at the list, I, there's some things I would probably want to change. Uh, the one I feel like I'm really happy I got right was Darius Washington at three. Uh, I, I put a real premium on offensive linemen simply because I, I think the drop-off there from your starters to your backups is is fairly severe. Uh, and I guess I did have Amar Gaynor at, at 28. Um, and the reason is, I, I actually feel pretty good about the, about the linebacker position this year. And thus, I don't think there's that big of a drop-off between Gaynor and other guys. I don't look at him necessarily as a huge difference maker. So I had him behind him at Rice. I had him behind Jaden Woodby. However, of course, like Woodby you know, is probably going to play more of that safety role. We'll see. Other than that, I don't think I had any actual linebackers ahead of him. I mean, he's behind Hamza, but Hamza's not a a true linebacker. He's he's more of a safety. I had him literally one spot ahead of Leonard Warner. I had him two spots ahead of Brendan Gant, who is, again, more of a safety, but can also be an impact-type dude, I think. Who else did I have here? Uh, I had him probably 10 or 12 spots ahead of Julian McCray and Kalen DeLoach, Steven Dix. I just don't think the drop off. Like first of all, I don't think the linebackers are that special, and I don't think that the drop off from the linebacker starters to the backups is that big. And thus, I, I didn't have those guys listed as as real, you know, real important guys. Um, I think it probably says something. I don't have any linebackers in my top twenty eight of or my top twenty seven of importance in this in this list.
0: Um, I might have had Gaynor a little bit higher just because I feel like he's, uh, he offers you flexibility that uh, some of the other prospects that we talked about there are at least flexibility playing closer to the line of scrimmage. And Hamza, you can line up just about anywhere, in my opinion, and probably play pretty well for you. But Gaynor's um, a little bit of an explosive athlete on a roster that doesn't have a ton of them at that particular position. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what he can do coming off the end, uh, coming off the edge. I think that there's uh, certainly some, some upside for Gaynor who I still think is kind of growing into his body. And while he's probably the most physically impressive of the, uh, the guys we talked about, maybe outside of Naswald Dean, uh, I probably would have had him in the, the lower twenties, uh, more, somewhere around 2021, 20, something like that. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of different pieces there and, uh, about five different
1: kids who all have somewhat similar skill sets. I, I think that's very fair. I, I went pretty heavy on positional scarcity here. Um, like I, I had a lot of, the, I pushed up a lot of these offensive linemen, you know, much higher than I, I, think other other people probably did. You know, something I'm really high on Ingram is legendary home loans. I use Shannon for my home loan. I use Shannon for my refi. Eight four four FSU loan is the number to call. But don't just take my word for it. Take the word of sixty Nolcass homeowners, dude. Sixty people have got their home loan through the NOLCAST loans program. Like that is, that still kind of blows my mind. And I still think about it, you know, Shannon emailing me and, and, and we talked, what, three or four years ago now when we first started and it's like, yeah, it's kind of slow going. I was like, oh, well, you know, let's just, let's see what happens. I, I think our listeners trust us and they know we, we only recommend stuff that we actually use and believe in. And since then it's just exploded. And it, it's, it's a credit to Shannon and Chad over there at legendary again, 844 FSU loan. Just the, the personal touch they have. You call Shannon, you're going to get some dull talk. He's going to be able to get you a rate from a variety of sources, walk through the process. It's awesome. I'm thankful every day that, that I was able to drop my rate, uh, as much as I did on, on that, on that dip, uh, with, with, with the refi. So give him a shout, 844 FSU loan. And with that, Let's get back into these questions. We have a, a, a Christian here again. I think it's a different Christian. Or maybe we have a back-to-back question for Christian. Uh, and he asks, uh, does this conference-only scheduling announcement mean that we are only playing our current ACC schedule uh, or will we, will we be adding Coastal teams to replace the four lost games? Christian, I think it means uh, nothing
0: and everything at the same time right now. Uh, I just don't think it's been determined exactly how this will be dictated. Uh, I think Bud was absolutely correct that uh, this gives you the flexibility to try just about everything and try just about anything. And I, you know, the, the guaranteed games that you'll have at least once are the, well, no, I won't even say the guarantee. There are no guarantees, uh, other than that you'll be playing teams in the ACC and, uh, and then they'll go from there. So I was going to say there's a guarantee you will play your divisional teams, but no, I don't think that's guaranteed at all. So, um, I don't know exactly what the structure will look like even in this strange odd year that the terms Coastal and Atlantic will even
1: matter. Uh, we'll just have to see. I think you're right, dude. Ideally, they want to they replace those and, and play a, a full like at least 10-game schedule. Ideally. Is that going to happen? I have some doubts, but not, not full doubts. Like, I, I, I wouldn't put it by them. I, I think it's, it's certainly possible that they're able to pull it off. I'm just not fully convinced on it. So Michael asks us, hey, two questions. First, right now, how many games would you better play before January? Uh, assuming they don't push the whole thing back to spring. We can assume that, but also like that you have to kind of bake that into your question. Second, he says, I don't have an Apple iTunes account, uh, but I want to give you five-star reviews. What other place can I leave a review that would benefit you guys? I listened to the show on Stitcher. I think you can give us a review on Stitcher, right? Can't they? Uh, I can't say that I know exactly. Uh, to be
0: perfectly honest, if you don't feel like you can leave a review on your uh, preferred provider, then giving us a retweet or mentioning Louisiana hot sauce on a tweet or something like that is probably the best way to support the show if, if you don't think that your rating is going to particularly matter.
1: Yeah, guys, uh, the main reason why we want these Apple Podcast reviews is because it keeps us really high up in the Apple Podcast charts and also... Uh, something you may not see, but it, it serves you or serves us rather as a suggested podcast to people on their phones. It's the recommendation algorithm. It, it, it keeps us as the, as the top recommended Florida state podcast. And since we have, what do we have? Like 3,500 or something close to that. I think uh, we, we'd love to get to 4,000. That'd be great. If you did leave us an Apple podcast for a while back, you could certainly leave one again. Uh, now in fact, you can leave them pretty frequently. Edgar, over under. How how many get? Ga- I'm going to have you go first on this. How many games do you think they're going to play before January? So let's just be the. Let's take zero off the board. Okay, just so got that it. we're not
0: asses here. Um, but everybody says we are. Like <laughs> like, shouldn't
1: we just? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, I feel like I've played the role of the ass for about three weeks now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step away from that. Uh, we'll take zero off the board. I would. Uh, is he guessing over under? Uh, let me see. I'm going to guess seven, to be honest with you. I mean, I think they'll, they'll try to get six in and then get that conference championship game played. And in that situation, many in college athletics would
1: consider that a dream world right now. Ooh. Okay, so you're, you're counting the conference championship game as one. All right. If we go just, just regu- like regular season, then I assume you're just going to say six, obviously, because yeah, six six plus one. I'm going to say seven if you have 14 weeks to get this done i i think that they can get 7 and i also think like if you have an outbreak within a team that could be the wake up call needed to be a little more cautious and and just take a little bit better precautions for another week and maybe you don't have a second or third big outbreak in the coming weeks i also think that there's a real possibility that these schools get the kids back on campus so they get their student fees and they get their dorm money. And then at the first sign of a big outbreak on campus, they send everybody home and they pocket that dorm money and they pocket those student fees. I need
0: to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell.
1: Don't think I'm joking here. Oh, I don't think you're joking. I don't think you're joking at all. No. If that happens, it's much easier to quarantine everybody. Thanks, mom and dad. And, ke- and keep them safe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some of these schools just depend on the student fees to run their entire athletic department. Not Florida State, but some of these big state schools in Florida do. If that happens, I think it's a lot easier to keep your players relatively safe at home because they're not all around campus. They're not going to classes. It's all just virtual classes, but they can still kind of live around the campus. I kind of think that they're going to say, guess what? We're having classes like they're virtual, but we're okay with students playing now. And, And maybe they'll keep a couple other student activities open just to to keep with, with the student idea here, as opposed to just the, the you know, semi-pro athlete type element. So for that reason, I'm going to go seven. Charles
0: asked a question uh, that is about, uh, I've seen a couple of people ask this, so I'm glad we were able to address this on the pod. Charles, here's a thought I've been kicking around. Assuming there is some semblance of a season, uh, considering it may or may not end up being meaningless, any
1: chance your superstar players play on some sort of pitch count? This is something I really haven't seen kicked around so I'm I'm, I'm glad you have cuz everything I've been seeing is like hey if they if they play in the spring there's no way these guys will play right and uh, pitch count zero on that one yeah 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 but in the fall the pitch count thing is is interesting I I'm going to take the opposite approach if they play in the fall if a player is healthy to play knowing that that he may only have a couple games to play I think they're going to play their starters a whole lot, almost like baseball right now. What are they playing in baseball? A 50 game season or, or 60? I think it's a 60, 60 game sprint. Yeah. Now, look, early on, they're not going to have their guys going full, like full bore as far as the, the, the pitchers, because they haven't had a chance to actually work up to their, their full workload. I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of six man rotations going on. I mean, th- these guys are going to pitch, they're going to, they're going to take the ball when their turn in the rotation comes up. And I think they're going to ride their, their horses. And I, I would expect that college football, if games are being played, especially if you don't have to balance like a 14-game se- season, I think you're going to play your starters a ton. I think if there's a definitive idea as to what the season will exist,
0: um, say that you know going out, hey, we got six division games and the ACC-SEC made a, a deal where some of these traditional intrastate rivalries exist. And from a player perspective, you know you've got seven games, all the more motivation to try to get as many snaps and put as much thing on tape as possible. Uh, I think it's there's actual drive uh, from both ends of the equation. So if uh, if we know there's only, <laughs> hey, maybe that's the solution at defensive end, but just play six, six games and Robinson and Kando take pretty much every snap.
1: So there you go. We figured it out. Well, look at that PFF chart. and It's like snaps played 100%. Janaris Robinson. 100%. Josh Kanto. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the pitch count thing is interesting to me. Now, can, can I flip this on its head real fast? Let's do it. Do you think that there are got? First of all, I, I want to point out, I think the number of players who are draftable prospects who would skip the spring is much, much smaller than some of my media colleagues believe. Okay, just from talking to people, I think a lot of these guys, people forget, are extremely competitive. And there are not that many guys who are good enough to go first round without playing. Like Maybe a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or I'm trying to think like other guys who weren't draft eligible last year, like Jamar Chase, right? If Jamar Chase had been draft eligible, he would have been the first receiver off the board. I, well, maybe not. But I think he would have gone first round for sure. Like, if he doesn't play another college snap, he's good. Do you think Marvin Wilson's a first rounder if he doesn't play another college snap? Cause I don't. Right. Like, you don't, you don't come back to, to improve your draft spot by 10 picks. You know, I, I think he probably did not get a, 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 a locked first round grade. I think if we play in the spring, I think Marvin Wilson's going to play. He came back so he can raise that draft stock. I would, ooh, we got a good disagreement there. I'd be shocked if he played in the spring if he came back. Uh, oh, okay. I think because of the risk, or because you think it's the first uh, I think round lock? I
0: think because of the risk, and I think that Marvin would go the same thing that I heard. And again, I only talked to a couple people at the NFL, so I'm not trying to say that I knew some kind of consensus. But I, from three different people, I got basically the same feedback is that they all thought Marvin would go at the latest, uh, somewhere around pick 45, pick 50. So, uh, I don't know that he's a, a guaranteed first-round pick. Uh, I think he would go in the first round if if the draft was held a week from tomorrow, but I would be surprised to see him take pl- take part in a uh, in a spring spring setting. All right, we will uh will thank our friends at Madison Ocean. One area where there is no disagreement is uh, the good people at For the Table Restaurant Group. They've been with us since day one. Uh, they were a driving force behind us, making the transition to the NOLCAST when and how we did. Again, the message is not going to have a whole lot of variance here. We just ask you to support them in whatever way possible, but whether that be supportive via social media, whether it be ordering a T-shirt from afar, uh, whether it be getting you know carryout uh, or whatever it is that you feel comfortable outdoor dining. Uh, they've got a lot of different options. They add to the experience that is being a Florida State athletic supporter in a manner that really you don't find anywhere uh, you know, in Tallahassee or really across the country. Uh, great people who need your support right now and uh,
1: people that we look forward to working with for a long, long time. Absolutely. Matt, hope you guys are doing well, and I want to see you soon. Charles asks, and this is an interesting question because we kind of just talked about this, if they end up pushing entire NCAA season to spring and the NFL plays in the fall as scheduled, would stud players be less likely to play since the season would run into the NFL calendar? This is interesting. Would the season actually run into the NFL calendar, the NFL NFL season calendar? No, but I think Charles's point here, and it's one that that we kind of brought up, but I want to flesh out a little bit, is that the season would run in to the NFL draft and the NFL draft combine and whatnot. And the NFL has already said they're not going to move that date. Now, who knows? Like the NFL could easily move that date, right? Like they're saying no for now, but. Pretty sure that they would want to be able to have a combine and see guys play their junior or senior seasons if, if it were to happen in spring. My thought is not as many guys would sit out as uh as Ingram thinks, but Ingram very well could be right on this. I think you could see it happen to where we treat it almost like a bowl game. I'm gonna play, I'm gonna get some tape. Okay, maybe one of these fringe first round types. But once my team is clearly out of the conference championship race, then I'm going to go ahead and and, and, basically peace out and start doing my draft prep, make sure I'm in awesome shape, make sure I'm not going to get injured, et cetera, et cetera. I could see that happening. Almost treating these final couple games like like bowl games. I could see that.
0: I could see that, certainly. I think think the NFL would have to move uh, the combine and draft. Uh, And one of the reasons why some players would be hesitant uh, to partake is that if you pick up any kind of injury, I mean, even if you sprain your ankle severely, you're not going to be able to take part in the traditional schedule that is uh combine and even maybe some personal workouts, depending on when those are scheduled or how you respond. So look, there's just a whole lot of unknown in that situation. And I think I speak for everybody when I say that I hope we get to play in the fall and that we don't have to explore all these spring situations because they are complicated and, uh,
1: there's an awful lot of moving pieces involved. All right, so let's go ahead and go to Christian. This is a different, question, or a different Christian. He says, hey, forgive me if you've done this already uh, and I missed it, but will the Nolcast be doing an episode or a series to give an in-depth X and O breakdown of our new offense, defense, uh, to give us an idea of what to look for this year, how the new systems pair with our roster? Thanks and hope you're well. Christian, hope you're well uh, as well. Yeah, we are going to do that. Um, I kind of want to do that once we start camp just to kind of weave it into our positional previews which we haven't even started yet because we don't really know when when camp is going to start uh i, I think that's something fun we can talk we can definitely talk about on the show there's always some challenges associated with doing so because you don't have that video uh or you know kind of visual element with it maybe we'll put some stuff on our instagram but yeah we'll, we'll definitely discuss it uh it, it's it's certainly an interesting offense that Mike Norvell runs. And you know, defensively, I, there's some stuff that Fuller does, which is clearly different than, than the prior system as well. So I look forward to talking about that with you guys. Chris asks, I think, I think this one's for Ingram, actually. He says, Hey, I remember a few years back, both of y'all uh, were really high on Epic's chances to land a great class in 2018. Can we play the what if and assume if Jimbo was still operating at a peak efficiency and talk about? Uh, what that class would look like. Specifically, I remember Ingram being really high on some kids out of Georgia. Thanks, guys. Yeah, there's. um, I I certainly remember that,
0: Chris. There's a uh, podcast that I did solo when Bud had the the audacity to take a vacation during the summer uh, where I talked about a lot of Georgia kids. And kind of looking back on it, I see it as a pretty definitive moment in time At the time, and I didn't mention this prospect's name, but at the time, I had been told that Owen Popo was basically uh, in the process of making a commitment video for Florida State. And about two or three weeks later, I checked in and (laughs) no commitment video and no plans to shoot a commitment video. And in fact, some of the correspondence from Florida State had fallen off. The Florida State side said, well, we had a little bit of concerns about his size and other things, which I kind of. Rolled my ad at the time, but didn't maybe extrapolate to what was starting to happen in that 2018 class. Now, uh, some of those kids in Georgia uh, I was talking about at the time maybe didn't end up being quite as highly ranked prospects. Others that I didn't talk about, uh, Justin Fields is one that comes to mind. I don't know, man. It's it's hard to play the what if game. Um, I think that Florida State had relationships. Florida State had a brand at the time that was big enough. Uh, that they could have gone in and done some real big things in the state that year.
1: Um,
0: Offensive tackle would look a lot different uh, is one position that immediately comes to mind. Uh, but it didn't happen. And it was really, in my opinion, when I look back on it, the beginning of the end. So I don't know if the relationship with Jimbo and Florida State just eroded so much over the summer. That summer, this is the summer leading up to the Alabama game. Uh, but some of the early signs about recruiting not being anywhere where it needed to be, were already kind of starting to rear their head.
1: For sure. And they, they, they cropped up quite a bit that fall. I, I think that's a good rundown by you there. Uh, speaking of something else good, Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson, proud supporter of the Nollcast. Travis, for those of y'all who are loyal listeners, and if you're not, or if you're new, Travis is a board-certified family law attorney. That makes him one of the foremost experts in his field of family law. He's the guy you want to go to. You may not need a family law attorney tonight. You may not even know one or know that you need one next week or the week after. But if you need one, take down this number, 850 435 9919. If you think you might need one, again, take down his number, 850 435 9919. Travis has cases throughout the state, whether it's just a, you know, something's pretty small or if you have a multi-million dollar divorce, he does those too. Free consults for NOLCAST listeners and flexible payment options again for NOLCAST listeners. Travis Johnson, graduate of Florida State, board certified family law attorney and proud supporter of the NOLCAST.
0: Tom, ask. Let's say we land one of the two big time offensive line recruits we're working on right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for the opportunity, let say, it. Tom. <laughs> How big of a difference maker, both on and off the field, would that be? Uh, both immediate and long term.
1: First of all, it, it would be. L- let's just kind of settle in here, maybe on what Tristan Lee and, and Amarius mems, two guys we spoke about recently, it would be a, a tremendous difference, I would say, uh, in terms of your perception, right? That Like that would matter a whole lot. Uh, I think people saying, oh, it, it is cool to go to Florida State as an offensive lineman. So I, I think that would matter. Um, I think both those guys are potentially good enough to where they could start for you as true freshmen uh, in, in 2021, fall of 2021, by the way, not not the spring of 21. Is it going to happen? Uh, almost certainly not, but I think long-term, one guy can only help so much on the field, but off the field, I do think it could kind of help to turn the tide of, of perception of Florida State in the offensive line recruiting game. It also just makes the other guys you're taking on the offensive line look a lot better in comparison. You know, if you take, like, whoever they're going to sign at number one this year in the offensive tackle side, if you slide that guy to your number two offensive tackle, I like him a lot better. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's not a bad second tackle taking the class. Whereas if it's the first tackle you take, you're kind of like, yeah, okay, kind of, I mean, more of the same. More, more that doesn't mean they're going to turn out as bad as some of the recent ones have, but n- not guys who are, are like, already very good plus upside. It would be a big deal, and it's not going to happen. But, but it would definitely be a big deal. I mean, whatever
0: your point of reference in the recruiting world, whether it's being Jimbo going out and get EJ Manuel, Nigel Bradham, Eddie Goldman, or I guess uh, uh, the kid out of Lake City, who's like my favorite Jernigan. player ever. Yeah, Jernigan. I Apologize, uh, Timmy. That's embarrassing. Uh, yeah, uh, whatever monumental recruiting moment you want to point at, it would be as big as as anything that's happened. So. Uh, I don't know that it'll come with those two kids. Um, you know, we'll see. Florida State, I think, will pursue some of these kids aggressively, and uh, we'll see how it runs out in the uh, in the long term. Austin asks, I've been going back watching the Memphis games 2019, and I'm excited to see a game plan offensively that adapts to explore the weaknesses of the defense they are playing that week. What percent of play do you expect to see, pony package or wildcat, Austin? These are the questions I love. And which games on the schedule would be best suited to go run heavy within those packages? Good question. I guess we'll just operate off the uh, the traditional schedule as of that of what we know right now.
1: Yes, I, I think that's that's probably what we have to do. Okay, how much pony package, which is some sometimes what, what people call uh, like two running backs as, as opposed to a, a fullback and a tailback, uh, and how much wildcat wildcats obviously. Uh, basically, just single wing type stuff, where, where you're snapping the ball to the back. Typically, with the quarterback split out wide, it's more of kind of a, a gimmick formation. Uh, what percentage of play do you expect to see? I, I have no idea. I, I first of all, a lot of this is going to depend on who is the guy you want to be snapping the ball to. Like, is is it Deshaun Corbin? Is it is it Kalan Laborn? Uh, who do you who do you think is the guy that they would that they would actually think is special enough? To need to give him snaps outside the construct of your normal offense, like direct snapping the ball to him, is that something you think you're going to see a whole lot of? Maybe, but I at this point I don't even know who is who is that dude. Typically, that wildcat thing, it it can't help your run game obviously because it creates an extra gap When, when you snap the ball to a back. You he doesn't like. There's nobody handing him the ball. Uh, so it does help to create the extra blocker, which extra blockers is something I'm extremely interested in, Ingram. I don't know about you, but with this offense, extra blockers are appealing to me. But let's let's say Corbin ends up being really good for them. And I don't know, maybe he will. Do you think you're going to see it more than like a series of games? I, I kind of don't. I mean, that's generally something you bust out the package like once. It's not something that teams keep going back to like over and over again within the within the same game, unless for some reason it's really worked great. But that's, that's kind of what I would, what I would say uh, there as to the pony package pony. Typically, I think is something you want to get in when you want to, I, I want to run it when I think the opposing team's linebackers are not very good. Okay. Because if I, if I go four wide, maybe I, I'm, I'm worried about what their, you know, what their defensive backs do. Maybe they have some really good DBs, but their linebackers are not as good. Maybe I like throwing the ball to the backs. Maybe I like working the screen game differently there. In your pony package, it would be what? Deshaun and then uh, Deshaun and Kalan, probably, unless you want to put somebody else in there. Maybe, maybe a Corey Wren, maybe your new JUCO kid. But at that point, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll see some, some pony probably, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical that we see a ton of that. As to what team, you know, kind of Pitt comes to mind. Yeah. It's the I first think, name that came to mind for me. Like yeah. Pitt, Pitt's got a really good D line and their secondary is pretty loaded. I don't know that their linebackers are, are that great. So maybe it's something you can kind of, you can create out of, you, you can throw the ball against their linebackers, uh, with, with With your hopefully your backs getting singled up on those guys, it does give you an extra blocker in the backfield. So maybe pit with with the pony pack. That's that's a really good question. And this is a pretty good example. Like I wish we had a spring, you know, because like I would I would know kind of what they're running and would at least be able to give you an idea of that more, right? As far as you know that that type of stuff. Uh, Matt asks, with football being the main
0: sport for the vast majority of FBS programs, there's an obvious need to make the season happen. Question is, what are the Title IX implications of football not happening at all? What about not happening on schedule? With some schools dropping football for 2020, do they have to drop a proportional number of women's scholarships or not? So <laughs> I'll say the the back one, no, they wouldn't have to cut female scholarships from my understanding, uh, the second part of it is that i um uh, Bud and I are kicking around ideas for <laughs> episodes maybe if uh, if we don't have the quote unquote traditional content that we have, uh, and one of them would be to get a Title IX expert on. Uh, there's a lot of different aspects of this that we'd kind of like to explore, um, and maybe having somebody with a you know a, a legitimate expert uh, qualification would would help shed some light on this, because there's a lot of different theories as to how this could ultimately be impacted.
1: I, I did talk to a college admin a while ago, and they basically said, "Look, you do have to carry a certain number of sports in order to stay at d1 i don't know if people know that, but like in order to be a D1 program, you can't just be like a d1 football program, and that's it. You have to carry a certain number of sports, certain number of total scholarships but Because a lot of programs will probably be dropped programs this year, or a lot of schools. I I shouldn't keep using the word programs. A lot of schools will keep dropping stuff this year. Uh, And with that, I think that there is a very good chance that we get a waiver as to the requirement to host a certain number of sports this year, and perhaps for the next couple of years. The, The circumstances are just so crazy. And we think of the NCAA as being sort of like arbitrary, capricious, but... Ultimately, they, they, their decisions are made by the member schools. like the NCAA is made up of its member schools. That's not just a tagline they use. it's, it's actually legit. Given that, I, I think they're going to be okay as far as not having to drop uh, a certain number of women's sports just to make up for the men's sports. They're probably going to be okay I't say furloughing, but in some ways, I, I think that's what they'll do, is basically furloughing some sports as far as actually playing. And maybe just keeping the kids on scholarship, but not, you know, not all the costs that go along with it. For how long? I I don't know. But I think they're going to be able to get a waiver on a lot of this stuff. Next question
0: is uh, from Jack. Jack asked the hard-hitting questions. That is, any inside scoop on if Fried Chicken Fridays are returning this fall? COVID surely can't displace that monolith of FSU lore.
1: Fried Chicken Fridays. Oh, man, the honey fried chicken is... If y'all have not had that, it is absolutely delicious. Do you think that's going to be open to the public this fall? (laughs) uh, Open to the public? No,
0: no, I I don't think it'll be. I I do
1: think that uh, Florida state
0: athletes will be able to have honey fried chicken. Uh, if you want some kind of cheesy historical reference, the, this is kind of out there, but, uh, there's a, there's a long lore that if like the Ravens ever left the tower of London, then London would fall and England would collapse. Uh, I consider that pretty much to be the same with honey fried chicken and Florida state athletics. Uh, as long as it's around, honey fried chicken will be there and uh, Florida State athletes will uh, continue to enjoy what is a bit of a, a unique dish.
1: Let's get out of here tonight on this one. Good question. Man, we're over an hour again, dude. This is, we're always like, hey, what are we going to talk about? And then we find a lot of stuff to talk about. Santosh asks, uh, after reha- also rehashing a Twitter question, what significance does a show cause notice from NCAA hold? Why would you be asking this question? I have no idea. Uh, oh, he continues. As in Jimbo was served a show cause notice from the NCAA. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, I think there was some impermissible contact, right? Between uh, a coach who was Jimbo was overseeing and a recruit. Yeah,
0: yeah. Almost straight off the bat, which is, I mean, good for you. You gotta if you're gonna do it, do it immediately. I think eight days after getting hired or something like that, nine days. Uh, a coach who was coaching at Florida State, but undoubtedly never been any of the rules then. But uh, as soon as he went out to Texas A&M, wild, wild, wild west
1: out there. Can I say something here? These, like, these bump rules and these no contact rules in person are just the stupidest damn thing ever. I'm sorry. Like, like it, there's a rule. like If I see you at your high school and you're a sophomore, I can't talk to you. Do you know how many kids I talk to, who I think are pretty good, and then we talk about grades, or I, I ask a college coach about him, we're like, "Yeah, I wish he would have would have gave a damn as a freshman or as a sophomore in high school," and now he's trying to, you know, backtrack and make up all these credits so he don't have to go to junior college or or go to prep. Man, do you know like if, if I'm a sophomore, maybe I think I'm going to be good, but I'm not like super good yet. If I've got a coach, Jimbo or anybody, talking to me, encouraging me, telling me, hey, we got your eye on you, that, that type of thing, and having a conversation with me, man, that might motivate me a little bit more to do well in the classroom. You know, And I've always thought these no content... Like I understand not being able to call these kids a whole bunch as sophomores, because I do think it's a little bit overwhelming to have like a 14 or 15-year-old kid having his phone blow up by, like, by a bunch of college coaches nonstop. Not that it's great for 16- and 17-year-olds to have it, but there is a little bit of an element of maturity as far as handling that contact. But in-person contact? It's not like you're going to be like overwhelmed with in-person contact. The coaches are not going to be camping outside your house trying to talk to you all the time. They're just going to your school when they talk to some of your upperclassmen teammates. They want to be able to talk to you. I just think this is a dumb rule. Now, A six-month suspension from recruiting is what I saw. Is that what you saw? Uh, Yeah, six months not being able to go out
0: into the field, which, uh, I mean, if he gets to serve that immediately,
1: (laughs) okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I wonder. that That's uh, that's almost like a time serve there. I will tell you, if uh, if it's actually a real penalty, that'll annoy Jimbo pretty hard because he actually was always one of the guys who thought that it was absolutely crazy that you couldn't go out uh, and be on the road more as a head coach. And he kind of, what do you call it? The lazy man's rule, I think it was. It, it was, the, he, he criticized the coaches. And I think Saban said the same thing. He criticized these head coaches who didn't want to go out on the road and recruit. And so they would get together at uh, at the coaching conferences and, and pass these rules at the NCAA with rubber stamp and saying, no, oh, head coaches can only go out on the road for a certain number of days as opposed to assistants. And since he had just been an assistant, he understood kind of what the assistant workload was like, uh, I, yeah, that it's not nothing, not being, not being able to have him in home is, is certainly, uh, certainly painful for them. All right, man. I think that's, uh, I think that's another no cast in the
0: books here. Fantastic questions. Uh, genuinely really appreciate the feedback that we've received recently. It's been exceptional and is, uh, made do it shows during this kind of unorthodox time an awful lot easier so thank you to uh, both Patreon supporters and, and broader supporters of the NOLCast as a whole and uh, if you do have a chance to support our sponsors or give us a retweet or give us a five star review it is uh, it is exceptionally appreciated. Thanks y'all This has been the NOLCast The NOLCast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson Go Knolls.